Um, so this is uh, the last of the Advent, Advent um, messages, culminating tonight with a Christmas Eve service. So we started with abiding hope, abiding peace, um, abiding joy, and then abiding love. And the love of God is undeniable. Um, all of mankind has access to his common grace, access to the beauty and the splendor of his creation, even after man's rebellion and fall from grace, God gave promises, along with some curses, in the book of Genesis, that there will be trouble, there will be trial, but for some, there will also be victory. God, in his sovereign nature, keeps his word. In this time of Advent, we look back to see how he has kept his promise by sending his only son, Jesus, to repair what had been broken, live a perfect life, die a sacrificial death, and then rise from the grave, defeating death, to sit at the right hand of the Father, awaiting the day of his second advent. God, in his infinite love, has called out a people from his common grace to yet another more magnificent blessing to those to whom he has called to have faith in Jesus Christ. Those will be kept, kept as his chosen, kept as his chosen people, chosen for eternal victory at the second advent of Jesus. And so we look today at abiding love But let's look at abiding love with a proper perspective. It is only because of God's love that anyone has any hope, that anyone has any peace, that anyone has even the possibility of joy. It's it's God's love that provides those things. So if you would, turn with me. We're going to look at the book of Jude. It is the second to the last book of the Bible. Um, Fairly easy to find right in front of Revelation. It's a very small book. There's one whole chapter. My kind of read. Um, We're going to begin in verse 17 and read through 25. God's word says this. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, And praying in the Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him 
who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord God, it is your word that you've um, provided for us that even allows us to understand, uh, have a glimpse of what it means that you love us. Father, without it, all we would know is how our day might be going. Um, if, if things are going well, then, then obviously you, you're loving us. And if things are going not so good, then clearly you're upset with us. Well, God, you provide your word, and it speaks truth to our hearts to let us know that none of those things are actually true. Father, that you've chosen a people for your own pleasure, for your own glory, that one day we would grow to understand you, worship you for who you are and what it is that you've done. So, Father, I pray that you would be with us today, that you would help us understand, help us to have our eyes opened and our ears to hear the truth from your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, well, first of all, I, I, I think it's best to kind of look at a little bit of background here. Now, this isn't very, a very big book by no means, but starting off in verse 17 and just reading to verse 25, the end of the book, um, it seems a little weird not to maybe go back at least a little bit to take a look and see what it is that he's talking about here when he says, but you must. So anytime there's a but in the Bible um, or a therefore, there's, there's something it, that's preceding it that needs to be looked at. And so um, a little bit of background, though, tells us that this is the last epistle, the last epistle written in the New Testament. It is unclear, not, not for sure, who the author Jude truly is. It's most commonly believed that he is a half-brother of Jesus Christ because he mentions in verse 1 that he is the brother of James. Um, that is the most common belief. Um, it is widely thought um, also that uh, the people that he is writing to um, are of Hebrew origin, that they are Hebrew Christians because a little further in the body of the letter, he's referring to a lot of Old Testament uh, things and imagery. He also uses some extra biblical um, literature that he's quoting from that I believe only the Jewish people would probably be familiar with. Um, and also have to assume that, that it doesn't say it, but because of the way he is concerned and the warning that he gives to these people, he's most likely a leader to them. So in verse 17, it begins with, but you. And so we must consider what comes before it and understand this transition. So let's go back and look at verse 1 through 3. And I think it's very telling regarding this man, Jude, and who he was. We don't get much 
but the glimpses that we get tell us a lot. Good to see you, Ken. How you doing, brother? Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Then in verse 3, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The letter opens with his greeting, and then he encourages them, and then he gives them an imperative. The title of the sermon today is Abiding Love, but as I thought about abiding love, I think more times than not, and, and Billy alluded to it also when he was up here lighting candles, I think we often think of the love of Jesus Christ in our life or the love of God in our life, and that is not wrong thinking by no means. But Jude says that we are to keep, that we are kept by God for Jesus Christ, but in the second half of this letter where we just read 17 through 25, he's telling us a little something else, and that is that he gives us instructions regarding this abiding in love and how we are to abide in God's love. See, this thing is a two-way street. Um, I don't know that we often think of it in those terms. God is sovereign, granted. But there's a reason that he calls us in particular as opposed to maybe someone else. Jude moves to an, in another direction. Abiding love is this two-way street, and Jude, Jude gives us instructions on how to live out our part on this side of that street. It requires contending for the faith. And as I mentioned, it's easy for us to see the abiding love of God to his people. We look at the Old Testament, and we have story after story of, of God's care and instruction and love towards the Israelites. We look in the New Testament and we see the fulfillment of prophecy where God delivers Jesus Christ through immaculate conception, which we are about to celebrate in the morning. Clearly, God loves his people. And the main point, I think, that that Jude is trying to drive home here in our scripture today would be something that, like, God's abiding love does a work in us through the gospel and keeps us for Christ. Those who are kept for Christ are those who keep themselves in the love of God. In his power, abide in that love. See, his instruction shows his humility and his love for his audience. In verses 1 through 3... The letter begins with Jude, uh, his desire to write concerning their shared salvation. 
So he wants to just send a letter, sit down with him, basically break some bread, have a meal, and enjoy the company of his brothers and sisters. How often is that the case for us, right? I mean, how many of us like, I mean, this is a Baptist church. I mean, how many people like a potluck, right? Just get together and enjoy one another's company. How many would like the struggle and the heartache that comes with loving brothers and sisters that are in sin? The struggle that comes with um, seeing a division and a fracture within your church body. Those are the things we really don't want, like to see, but let's be honest, they're a part of church life. He would like to sit down and just break bread with his friends. But circumstances dictate that he writes for another reason. In verse 3, he speaks of the need to contend for the faith. Literally, this is to strive or to vie for, to in a context, uh, content, uh, sorry, a contest or a rivalry. So he's literally calling his church, calling the people that he's a part of, don't know if it's actually his church, that's an assumption, but he's calling these people to get after it. And what he's calling them to get after it regarding is against scoffers who bring into the church false teaching in verse 4. We didn't read it, but verses 5, 4 through 16, he gives this long list of the things that these scoffers are doing and who they are like and gives comparisons to Old Testament um, peoples, places, and those kinds of things. And I mean, how often is it that we've seen the mention of scoffers in the epistles, in the letters? Paul writes to the church, um, the false prophets. Peter writes to his church. As a matter of fact, Seth brought that up two weeks ago in his message on peace. Peter talked about the scoffers in the church. These are people that seem as though maybe they're brothers and sisters, they sit right next to you in the pews, and yet there's, a, there's, there's some agenda other than the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verses 5 through 16, Jude proves out his point made in verse 4. He gives Old Testament examples of the Egyptians, the uh, rebellious angels, Sodom, and then individuals. He talks about Cain, Balaam, and Korah. And then he gives extra biblical examples here. And if you read it, it's like, what the heck is he talking about? Because we're not familiar with the assumptions or the, uh, the testaments of Moses and first Enoch. We're not that familiar with it. But the people he's writing to were. It would be like a pastor today utilizing Shakespeare to make a point. Most everyone would probably get it. Um, so that's what he's doing in, in his letter. But Jude reminds the people of the warnings that Peter gave in 2 Peter 3.3. 3. He reminds the people of the warnings that Paul gives in Acts 20, 29 through 30, scoffers and wolves. Jude uses the phrase, it is these, in verse 19. And previous to that, 
No less than 19 times did he use the word these or those or a variant of that word talking about and describing the areas where scoffers and false prophets defile the truth. They do that through apostasy, autonomy, and immorality. And so we can just look at the three examples that I mentioned before of um, the Egyptians. That would be a clear example of apostasy. They had no belief in God whatever. Moses said, let my people go. But my God says, my people need to go, and then we don't, we don't believe your God. Who's your God? Complete apostasy. And then there's autonomy. We can look at the angels, the fallen angels that fall out of heaven. They, they see themselves now beyond the authority of God. They have autonomy. And then, of course, in, in the case of Sodom, that's clear. They see themselves as beyond the morals and the standard by which God has placed upon them, and they live in morality. And what happens is all of them are judged. As a matter of fact, they are all kept for judgment, either judged or kept for judgment. See, the danger that we must often face in our church today doesn't come from the culture outside. It doesn't come from the government. It comes from our own backyard. And we need to keep our eyes open. And Jude is saying, beware. And so, having been called by God, contend for the faith, knowing you are kept by Christ, even as the ungodly are kept for judgment. By the means of keeping yourselves in the love of God, fulfilling our duties as his servants, abiding in our love for the king of kings. So what then? Jude presents his marching orders in what we just read in verses 17 through 22. He presents the marching orders. Basically, it's discipleship 101. Do these things. In verses 17 through 19, he's telling us to look back, remember. We need to do that, though, with proper perspective. Jude gives us a great example in his introduction. The first three verses, actually the very first verse, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother to James. Now, if if Jude is actually the half-brother of Jesus, which most believe that he was, that's an interesting way of opening his letter. Instead of saying, hey, by the way, I'm Jesus' brother, listen to me. No, he doesn't do that. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And the word used there is, I'm a bondservant, meaning I'm a purchased slave. And then, talking to the people, to those who are called Beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So he is exalting the people he is speaking to and placing himself in a, in a position of absolute humility. And that's where we all should begin. Verse 17, he says, you must remember 
It's an imperative. You cannot forget. Jesus is the keeper of all things, either kept for eternal glory or kept for eternal damnation. It's not spoken of enough, I think. I'm I'm not the the hellfire brimstone kind of person, but let's face it, folks. There is a battle raging, and eternity is in the balance for everyone. We have to take it seriously. Verses 4 through 16, he is describing false teachers in their worldliness and their immorality and their error. And one last time in Scripture today, he hammers home his point in verse 9. He says, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. They scoff at the truth driven not by the Spirit, but by their own ungodly passions and appetites. Jude is not just telling, uh, trying to call out the false teachers, but have his dear friends recall the truth and the warnings of the apostles. He says, remember the apostolic word. This is what Christ told these men that have died believing in that faith. Horrific deaths. They have told us all along that there will be scoffers. There will be false teachers in the last days. We should expect it. We should not be shocked by it. Be aware that the wolves are always at the door. Be ready to contend for the faith. And as a reminder... The last days were inaugurated by Christ's resurrection. So the letter that Jude writes to these people all the way till right now are the last days. Jude reminds them and us to remember Jesus' original representative's words. Look back to the truth you have heard from them. The word is our weapon. It's our safe haven. It's our rule. So contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Look back. And then next, he tells us to look up in verses 20 to 21. I want you to see this carefully, how these two, these two verses are put together. Grammatically speaking, there's, there's one central imperative one central command, and it's surrounded on either side by explanatory clauses that tell us how to do it. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God. This is what Jude wants us to make a priority. If we remember back in verse 1, Christians are people that are called, beloved, and kept by God for Jesus. Being called, loved, and kept, that's who we are as believers. Nothing can change that. The gates of hell cannot change that. Jesus is our Lord. It's done. It's finished. This is great news. 
We are beloved and kept. And yet, in verse 21, we must also keep ourselves in the love of God. Interesting. Both of these things are true. One doesn't cancel the other one out. God keeps us in his love, and he does it by enabling us to keep ourselves in his love. God's love preserves us by empowering us to persevere in him. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, but my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working in us so we can busy ourselves to work for him. We must keep ourselves in the love of God. <clears throat> so haven't you found yourselves at times, um, you know, as, as elders, we get together one of the things that we do is um, we have this kind of a checkup session where we kind of check in with one another what's going on. It's kind of like a DNA group if you've been a part of one of those. Um, we check in with one another. How are things going? Um, and, and we give each other room to uh, be completely honest, uh, which is a key component. Um, be completely honest about how things are really going, right? And so... It, we're all familiar with this, I believe, as Christian, as believers, we should be familiar with this. But you found yourself at times where things are going along quite well, and you're growing as a, as a Christian. God is teaching you from his word. You're encouraged. There's a measure of joy. You have peace. You love giving him praises. You love being with his people. You love the Lord's day. Then something, something in the routine maybe happens. Um, begin to neglect scripture a little bit. Um, maybe it's pressure. Maybe it's pressure from work. Maybe it's family stresses. Maybe um, you're just tired. Um, you begin to neglect the word. Like I say, you neglect um, yielding to temptation. I mean, you start yielding rather than to stand firm against it. Trouble in the little things at first, and then um, of some unkind word is said, um, a lustful glance, a gluttonous indulgence. Um, You get the picture, right? Sin does have a way of growing, doesn't it? (laughs) And soon... You're snapping at your kids. Days pass in hostile silence towards your spouse. You're drifting away from church, rarely um, under the comfort of grace that uh, your heart has known with Christ. You've grown cold. The sense that you've uh, had any sort of intimacy with Jesus seems long gone. How easy is it to drift? 
Jude tells us, keep yourself in the love of God, and it's his exhortation. Keep watch over your heart. Shepherd it constantly. Never let it stray from the love of God. You realize we're not designed for that? That's not how we operate as in our flesh. What I just described is way more natural. It requires work. It requires effort. It requires discipline. And it's not fun sometimes. So how do we do this? Okay, so in, in the kid's way, there's a, there's a standard answer for everything, and that is Jesus, right? So in adults' classes, the standard answer for everything is read your Bible and pray, right? That fixes everything. And it does, but it's not always that simple. Well, here in the scripture, there are three things that surround the imperative, keep yourself in the love of God. First is, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Secondly, was, is praying in the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, is waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a critical point here that needs to be observed. And that is the word yourselves. It's plural. Also notice this construction language. See, I, I used to do construction. And in order to do construction, you have to lay a foundation. And depending on the size of your structure, that determines the size of the foundation and how deep it might need to go. And so if you're doing a skyscraper in L.A., you're sending down pilings into the earth 200 feet hammering them down into bedrock so that you can build and pour concrete around those pilings and have a structure that's actually going to stand 200 stories tall. How's your foundation? We do a pretty good job of that here at The Way. We have equipped classes, and there's a lot of learning that goes on, and, and that's a good thing. It is a good thing, but that's not where it ends. That's a starting place. So we do this together. It's a plural that you build yourselves up. Back in verse 3, he told us that we must contend for the faith once and for all delivered. Fight for the faith. Well, that's a stronger word maybe than contend would imply. But you get the idea. Defend the truth. That was... That was his call. And Jude is saying here, fight for the faith. To fight for the faith is only safe for us if we are building ourselves up first. How many times have you entered an argument when you really didn't have the answer for the argument? I think rule number one as an attorney is never ask a question you don't know the answer to, right? Um, I've done that where I'm like, well, no, that's not true. And then I start to, you know, get in there and, and then somebody will throw a question out. I'm like, well, uh, but, uh, but, uh, uh, okay, so that's not wise. But we need to uh, build ourselves up first. I have, I've, I've been to some, uh, seen some fighters for the faith, right? And it's always a crusade um, looking for someone to refute, 
You know the folks. You know what I'm talking about. These heresy hunters, right? Um, always looking for the error, that gotcha moment. You know, and sadly, it seems to me that there's an air of bitterness about them, uh, a sourness of character. It tells me that the faith which, which, which they seek to defend is no longer a nourishment to their soul, but more a tool to hit someone over the head with. We're not told, we're not called to fight about the faith. We're told to fight for the faith. To do it, and to do it with humility and grace, it must be our greatest treasure, our only hope, our most holy possession. And we must do it together to sharpen one another. And then praying in the Holy Spirit, just to be clear, Judas is making uh, comparisons in this section of Scripture. And he says, but you, in verse 19... Um, He says that the false teachers are devoid of the Spirit, but you, which he's implying, you're not. You're filled with the Spirit, so pray like it. He's not not trying to deliver some, some new, cool way of praying. He's just saying, the Spirit is with you. Pray with the Spirit and pray together. Do it with humility. The third thing that he says is we are to keep ourselves in the love of God by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Jude tells us here we must anxiously await the second coming of Jesus Christ. Live today in the trenches so um, in the spiritual battle that rages Live today longing for Jesus to come back soon. Live today, love today as though Jesus is coming back tonight. Live today anxious to live with him forever. Hopefully, you didn't miss this robust Trinitarian view that Jude illustrates here keeping yourselves in the love of the Father, waiting for our Lord Jesus Christ and praying in the Holy Spirit. Jude's doctrine of the Trinity is intensely practical. It's filled with implications for our lives. The Holy Spirit empowering prayer, the love of God, motivating obedience, and the return of Jesus Christ propelling us on until he comes. A beautiful picture. And then lastly, it's a, he says, look out. So, so we look back at the apostolic word. We never forget the word once delivered. Then we look up at the triune God and cling to him. Rest on him and use all of the means that he has provided, that he has ordained to keep us close to him, and stay in his love. And then finally, we look out. Verses 22 and 23, 
we need to ask the question of ourselves. So how is it that we react to a brother or sister who is struggling with temptation or struggling with sin? For most of us, it kind of depends on what sin as to whether or not how I'm helping and how I'm not. That's not necessarily the proper attitude. Jude's first address is to the doubter. The one who doubts their greatest need is mercy. Have mercy on those with doubt. They haven't left the faith. They just can't stand, they can't understand a a particular injustice or um, they don't understand how all the pieces fit together. They're fragile and they're weak and they need mercy, not rebuke. That is why we need to continue to look up, isn't it? Not, among, not one among us has lived without doubt as a believer. I've not met them, if there is such a person. We must offer mercy as we have received mercy. Help them fix their eyes on Jesus. Open the word with them. Help them to remember. Pray with them and for them. The next group that Jude directs us to are not doubters, but unbelievers. In verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Oh, now, hold on a second. Snatching somebody out of the fire means I got to kind of get close to that fire. I don't want to do that. It's hot. You know, there's some that would say, oh, well, that's kind of for the, that's for the professionals, you know, the evangelists. That's what they do. Um, no, that's not what Jude is saying. He's saying that we snatch some out of the fire. I mean, how many of you uh, grabbed a stick out of a campfire? You know, it was pretty hot, right? And you wanted to grab that one stick, get your hand on it. You're kind of holding yourself back so you don't burn your eyebrows off. Yeah. That's how we should approach it. This is where many would say that a skilled evangelist is required. Well, according to Jude, this is why we pray in the Spirit. This is why we do things together. We don't preach the gospel to mend society. The mission of the church is not to cure social ills. Our call is to snatch some from the fire. The gospel will rescue them from eternal flames. You, the people of God, you are the chosen delivery system by which they are saved. And the Spirit does the work. But somebody has to snatch them from the fire. Then the third group, it says, show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Show mercy with fear is an interesting term. 
similar. But show mercy with fear would lead one to think of the, the individual that was a believer and has fallen back, a backslider, whatever you want to call it. Someone that um, has come to our church, um, maybe single, and suddenly found their love, and we've given warning, hey, you know, uh, you, can't, you shouldn't move in together, you shouldn't do that kind of thing, um, and yet they do it anyway, and, and then pretty soon they just drift away. We've seen that happen here. Right? Um, something like that. But we show, show mercy, but this time it is mixed with fear. Jude is telling us to be careful. Be guarded. As you show mercy to those that have fallen away, drifting into sin and the world, be aware of the snares and the temptation. Watch yourself. Watch your approach. Be sensitive to the pitfalls that can occur. Maybe this individual is operating in an area that you've found yourself to struggle in. Use caution. Use wisdom. Pray in the spirit. Bring reinforcements. Have mercy with fear. Jude is warning us to not play with fire. Do not toy with sin. As you minister to others, guard yourselves Tremble at the weight of eternity. Show mercy with the knowledge of the polluting power of sin. Above all, keep yourselves in the love of God. You see, a gospel that is saving us is a gospel that is making demands of us. And these demands... They are that we keep ourselves in the love of God, and we do that by the means of remembering, building yourselves up, prayer in the Spirit, having mercy on others, evangelism, godly behavior, and humility with wisdom. We are called to show the mercy that we have been shown to the lost and to the broken. Together, we keep ourselves in the love of God for his service and for his purposes. You know, I remember somebody saying to me one time, a long time ago, that um, no one really gives you the lowdown of what being, walking like a real Christian is. They don't give you that up front. Because most people would say, mm, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that. Especially at first. Um, because there's a cost to walking in this life as a follower of Jesus Christ. There's a cost. But it's a cost that is worth it. Again, Jesus is the keeper of all things. He keeps all for eternity and he keeps all for destruction. And there will come a day that there will come a day that um, we will see that play out. So I encourage you to abide in the love of God. Have him 
as he loves you, help you to understand the awesomeness of what it is that he is doing and what it is that he has done through his son on your behalf for no other reason other than he loves you. And then abide in him by serving, becoming a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, a slave to the work that he's called us to. So I want to close with this beautiful doxology that Jude gives us in verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.